there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. So I had the absolute honor of bringing Jessica Reeves, a family nurse practitioner, onto the channel for an interview. So um, Jessica is a family nurse practitioner, but uh, she's a member of the Real World NP team, and she is also an author. The name of her book is The Secrets From the World's Most Productive Nurse Practitioner, which I'll link to down below. Um, she's really just fantastic at time management, and um, she shared a lot of tips um, at, when it comes to patient visits, charting, um, and other pieces um, that nurse practitioners really struggle with. So um, I really hope you enjoy this interview. Real quick though, if you haven't grabbed the ultimate resource resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Without further ado though, this is my interview with Jessica, the time management guru. Okay, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Can you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so my name is Jessica, Jessica Reeves. I'm a nurse practitioner. And um, before I was a nurse practitioner, I was completely obsessed with time management. For my eighth birthday, I got a watch, a digital watch. And I think that's when <clears throat> things really kind of changed for me. And I really became very aware of time. And so ever since then, I've always been very concerned with time and how long things take and how they could be faster and better and that sort of thing. Um, and so here I am, my husband now calls me the time guru of our household. So nurse practitioner slash time guru, I guess, is sort of my claim to fame. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I did not know that. And so... Um... So yeah, so as I mentioned in the intro, that you are one of our team members at Real World NP, and we're so happy to have you. Um, another piece of information I want to share is that you also have a book. Tell us about your book. Yeah, so the book is funny. I didn't sit down one day and say like, I'm gonna write a book, but I did realize um, when I was leaving my position in corporate medicine, and they were talking about who they were going to get to replace me. So from like another team or something. And somebody said, well, we're not going to be able to get somebody who's going to be able to just, you know, handle the visit and handle the time the way that Jessica is. And I was like, oh, other people noticed that. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, it became like a thing. And I, I recognized kind of like looking back, I, I have something to offer. And again, if I looked way back, it went all the way to being, you know, eight years old with the digital watch. And, um, and ironically, I have no watch on today. Um, <laughs> Strangely enough, but so I felt like, you know, okay, I can write an article and, you know, and get this published somewhere and I've got some tips. I'm sure I've got something that I can share. And I sat down and started writing and, you know, wrote a little more, wrote a little more before I realized I had, you know, enough to fill a book. So, wow. um, you know, that's kind of how it came together. I, I never really thought that would be 
my future <laughs> or mm-hmm. on the radar, but it was um, a really gratifying experience. And it's been so gratifying also, you know, it's, it's brought me into contact with lots of folks. I don't think I would have otherwise been in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that real world MP counts as part of that as well. So that's kind of how we cross paths there. And it has been, it's interesting to help fellow NPs. You know, it's one thing to help a patient and you know, you've gone through all this stuff and you're like, okay, when you've got your blood pressure, you need your lisinopril, you know, and it's kind of, that's it. But this is like, I've really been, I don't have high blood pressure yet someday, but, um, but the time management I've been there, you know, and I, these are things that I know have worked for me. So it's really gratifying to be able to share that with other NPs and to be, it sounds corny, but to be part of the solution instead of yeah. part of the problem. So, you know, I didn't realize that I was as much of a time guru until um till that happened and so yeah and and i really am almost almost a little too much depending who you ask but but it's ultimately <laughs> a, good, it's a good problem to have yeah, yeah. that's it's awesome and can you refresh us again on the title of your book sure uh the book is called secrets from the world's most productive nurse practitioner um and it's i know right isn't that fun and that's when i knew actually that i was going to because i thought that was just going to be the title of like an article and i was like no this is like this is a great like hook to kind of put everything around um but you know we've got a lot of stuff in there that's about like nuts and bolts of like you know how to get through the day but then there's also like some bigger picture stuff about you know how to know whether their job like the culture is going to be the right fit and you know because there's more than one way to approach time management and there's not really one right answer but there's kind of one right answer for you or for me or for you know the individual mm. so it kind of you know makes people think a little bit about what they need because it's mm. not one size fits all so, i love that I'm excited to have, yeah it's exciting yeah. to have that kind of stuff too Totally. And I really appreciate you saying that in the context of time management. So we have a couple of questions that we're going to share um, that we're going to talk through. But um, I guess just to start, like, I just appreciate you sharing that not only are you really good at time management um, for like life, but also you recognize that it's an individualized custom approach. Because I, as you and I have sort of shared before, um, I have probably what's called time blindness. <laughs> so I probably like I the- like that. Polar opposite. I think it's actually a real term. Well, there's some person that coined that term. I don't know if it's in, I think it goes along with ADHD, but um, yeah, in terms of the the time, like I appreciate that you can recognize that there is there is not one right way to do it and not one right way of advising. Because I think that so many nurse practitioners come to real world NP and they're struggling with time management. And I, and I feel like, at least in my personal perspective of time management, we'll, we'll get into this with the questions, but um, it's just, it seems very individualized. Like, I think that there's definitely some things there, some core principles and definitely like things we can learn. And also, yeah, it's a really custom. Well, yeah. why not? And I think that, Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to build on that and just say that even for me, it's not one approach. It depends on the situation, right? Mm. So then, if you, you know, for me in situation A versus situation B, I need to kind of come at this a little differently. And it's like, well, then of course, right? Yeah, somebody with time blindness, right? They they can also get things. We can help you see the light, but um, but we need to go about it a little different way. So yeah, yeah it's, it's you know, there's a lot of different ways to get it right. It's really just about intent. You know, that's awesome. Well, let's get into some of the questions here. Um, okay, so I guess for some context, so you and I have talked about this, but um, the people that we serve with real world NP tend to be nurse practitioner students, 
newer graduates or in the first couple of years of practice, but then also people who have been practicing in another specialty that are coming back to either coming back or coming into family medicine for the first time. And so it sounds like there's some overarching challenges that I've heard about, and I'm sure you've heard about too, based on the stuff we talked about before this of like the visits themselves, mm-hmm. um, challenges with the, with time management in the visits themselves, challenges with the time management of um, charting and paperwork. That's kind of, in my mind, those kind of go together, um, as well as the challenges of the schedule of the office play, like the situation of where you work. So that's, those are like the main challenges. So I just maybe want to start with one. So like, is there one that you'd like to start with? Do you want to talk about charting? Do you want to talk about patient visits in the room? What do you, where do you want to start? Yeah. I'll What's your thoughts about um, those? Yeah, the visits, it's because I tend to be very methodical. Um, One, two, three, four. So the first thing that you do is you're seeing the patient and, you know, pre-charting. So even before that, right, before you actually walk through the door and get face-to-face with the patient, a lot of people want to pre-chart and Mm -hmm. it feels like the thing to do, right? Because you're being productive and you're like, okay, I'm going to go in, I'm going to be so prepared and I'm going to be ready for this, this, this. And I know that, you know, it's a physical, so I have to order, you know, all these labs or all these, you know, imaging or whatever. And then the person doesn't show. Mm. And how much time did you just invest in that? Right. And you just turn it out the window or in like a worst case scenario, the patient doesn't show, but then you've got the note open. Now you have to figure out how do I undo everything I did? Now you're wasting even more time, right? Like, (laughs) oh my God. So forget that, right? Like pre-charting really, really benefits you. It feels like it should. And like for the amount of time it takes, it really should benefit you, but it doesn't. And Mm -hmm. I think that that time could be so much better used for a lot of other things. You have to be like, ready to see the patient, right? You have to know what you're walking into, right? Yeah. Okay. This is, you know, an annual exam. And last time I saw, I haven't seen this person in a year. They're pretty healthy, but like, these are the things that they have going on. So you want to do like, you want to glance at the chart, but you don't need to read the whole thing, you know, literally five minute tops and, Mm. you know, go in with a loose plan because the other thing is they come in for the annual physical and then they're like, oh my God, but like, I think I broke my toe yesterday. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. Brand new complaint. Yeah. 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 The exam will come back for, but let's see if that toe's actually broken. And, oh, I need, you know, X, Y, so like things change. That's primary care. It's, you know, you're always kind of surfing, you know, you have a plan, but you also have like 10. Yeah. So I would say is like a huge, huge, huge no, no, as far as I'm concerned, because I haven't seen for myself or for other folks that I've worked with, I haven't seen them benefit that benefit them. Yeah. You know? yeah. And when it does, it's such a like long shot, you know, it's mm. like, out of, like 50 that it actually is worth doing. <laughs> That's not a very good return. Right. You know, and yeah. in the amount of time that you've spent doing that, you could knock out some tasks in your inbox. You could, you know, call for that pre-auth. You could, you know, do X, Y, Z. There are a lot of other things that you could do that would be a better and more like concrete use of your time. Yeah. Than the feature. So it's a gamble yeah. and I don't think it's a risk worth taking. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. first thing I would say, you know, don't, it's tempting, but don't, you got to avoid that temptation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark my words, try it and it's not going to work. So there's that too, <laughs> right? You know, that There's that. Prove me wrong. Absolutely prove me wrong. I'm like science, right? Like you can prove me wrong. Totally. I would love that. I, and then tell me how, how you did that. Um, but <laughs> 
Totally. And just to set some context for if if a nurse practitioner student is listening, one of the common pieces of advice is to um, look up your patients either the day before, the morning of, and then read through their whole chart, open a chart, come up with a plan, write all the things you predict is going to happen, order all the things you think you need to order. And some people really stand by it, but I think that I think it's important to offer that as as, as not a requirement, right? Because um, it is really disheartening when you put in all of that work and it hasn't come to anything. I found value in it for a little while when I was a new grad um, because I felt like it really forced me to like engage my brain in a very specific way. But then I, when I realized the utility of it wasn't really measuring out, I was like, okay, let's let's try something else. So I, that did not work for me long term, but it was it was helpful for a short stint. Yeah. So it sounds like for you, it was helpful to kind of help to organize your thoughts and your approach to the visit. Yeah. Totally. Do that on a piece of paper. Yeah. I would, you know, if I had somebody that really wanted to like stick with that, like, okay, well, how can we modify that? So that then in the worst case scenario, you just rip that paper up and put it in the shred pile. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's the difference. Yeah. I was going to say that's very different than like when you pre-chart, going through the whole pre-charting process versus looking at all the patients up the night before is a different different process, yeah. So that still may be serving, especially when you're newer, to like look the people up and then like take some notes. To be like, oh, like I haven't seen Charcot foot in like a really long time. I don't really remember what I should be assessing for that. Exactly right, because that's definitely happened, right? Like I think I yeah. had that with gout, like my first gout patient. Yes. Was like, okay, that's the foot, right? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I better look this up. I don't want to walk in, like, because you don't want to look stupid, right? So you like totally. you walk in and you're like, yeah, I expect them to have their shoes up and their foot should be red and they can't really touch it, you know? Like, okay, all right. So here's my few things. So you do definitely want to be prepared, yeah. But especially the night before, I think that that can also like add to the anxiety. You know, as a new grad, like uh... you've got anxiety all the time because everything's new and this is the first time you're like without a net or close to being without a net. If for me, I'll speak my N of one here. If I looked up my patients the night before, I wouldn't sleep. Because, yeah. oh no, what, you know, when that 10 o'clock comes in, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to screw it up or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to forget something or I'm going to need to ask somebody else for something or yeah. that visit's going to run on. And you just psych yourself out. And yeah. again, I don't see the return on investment. So yeah. for me, not worth it. It's not going to make me a better MP. It's yeah. going to make me closer to burnout faster. Mm-hmm. It's going to make me um, stressed. It's going to make me not sleep well, right? You know, mm-hmm. all the things, all the distractions. Mm-hmm. So for me, no. yeah, totally, totally. What other thoughts do you have about charting aside from pre-charting and not from considering not pre-charting? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for charting. <laughs> I have like three templates that I use and there's one that's for the problem visit and you can just add problems on. Right. But it's like your basic thing where you're like, you know, you know, what happened, what are we going to do about it? What are the imaging or labs or whatever that I needed to get like in the visit So you've got your acute visit problem visit, um, your annual exam, right. Which Mm -hmm. is going to, I see adults. I don't really see kids. Occasionally I'll see kids. So my annual exam is basically the same um, for for pretty much everybody because I'm not doing like developmental stuff and that totally. So it's like, it's a static document. And then my third one is um, pre-op. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm seeing somebody for a pre-op physical, you know, you got to ask the questions so that they're safe for anesthesia, but you don't really need to like, it doesn't matter if they're up to date on their mammogram, you know, so Mm -hmm. those things go. And then when it comes time to chart it, 
mm-hmm. you already know like what you're putting in and where you expect to see it. Like, okay, here's where I'm assessing their, you know, soft palate. Okay, yeah. you know, here's where I put this. Here's where I'm putting their, um, you know, capacity to. If I had to ask you to move furniture, could you do that? Yes, you know. Okay. Mm. You know, and you can just cruise right through. So that's a big, big piece. Um, having templates, but also not having too many templates. For me, that's the right one. If I saw kids, I'd probably have like another three or four templates just because of yeah. the ages. Ages, right? yeah. But conceptually, it would still be that same thing where it's like, you know, don't create, keep it lean and mean, right? You can mm. always customize in the note for the particular problem or the particular patient, but you don't need to like reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah. That's a big Another big one is, and again, this is my personal preference and I'm sure that I am like a total black sheep with this. I do not open the computer in the visit. Mm. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Um, unless there's some, like sometimes like one visit out of 50, it's completely unavoidable and you, you, know, you yeah. have to look something up. But, like, the patient starts asking something. Oh, while you're in there, hey, I never got the results from when I saw endocrinology. Like, I, I can't. <laughs> oh, hold on, right? Yeah. So that's thing. So that's something that. So when I'm in the visit, it's me and the patient, and I've got my clipboard and my. I take hard copy notes, mm-hmm. but I write very little. You know, mm-hmm. I had cheat sheets that I used for like the first couple of years, and I would highlight stuff so that I would make sure that I didn't forget stuff. So if it was like a gout patient, right? Okay, I want to ask these questions. I want to ask those questions, but like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, like if they're having any abdominal stuff, right? Like, mm. that's, you know. So, but I want to make sure that I'm asking this, this, and this. So you've got your little guide and then you've also got, you just check it off, you know, yes or no. And then you can pretext a little bit, but you know, you really, to me, that helped me to be more present with the patient. And then it also focused what I had. If you have a long laundry list of notes, you are maybe a little more likely to feel like you have to include all that. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. That's a big piece, yeah. right? Because you don't want to be like, oh, I'll just throw that away and pretend it didn't happen. But mm-hmm. if you're more focused with the visit, then that helps you to be more focused with your charting. Mm-hmm. Another piece that goes with this, and this is tough, and in some cases I was very much not popular for this, but you kind of have to... I guess, choose your battles. And in a primary care setting, it was limiting the number of concerns. So in a minute visit, we can cover three things. Um, And they may be the things, you know, that you booked your visit for plus two more. Um, Or you may have changed, like something may have changed since you booked the visit. And now you've got this, you know, I think I got bit by a tick and okay, we need to put on that that path. So we might have to take one of the other things and have to come back for that. But I can't really thoroughly investigate an issue if I don't have enough time, it's not fair to me. It's not fair to the patient. You know, it's not fair across the board. Mm-hmm. So limiting the number of things that you really, you know, unless there are always ex- ex- um, not exceptions. exceptions. Yeah. Um, there's always exceptions. So there are always times that, you know, like it's hard for this patient to get in and, you know, they always miss their appointments and they're here right now. I got to strike while the iron's hot. But in a lot of cases that that's not mm-hmm. true, you know, and if you're going over 10 things in a visit, you're going to have to chart 10 things. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to order labs for 10 things. It's going mm-hmm. to turn into this snowball. Mm-hmm. But if you're only going over two or three things, that's ethically appropriate to yeah. me. And it's also going to make your charting that much easier because yeah. it's more focused. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is tough. And I think, I, I guess I want to normalize a couple of things, especially for our newer um, people who are listening or a newer person that's listening. Um, 
that like I had a real struggle with that when I was new of like, oh my gosh, do I have to write down every single thing that this person says? Like, I just, I don't want to be like liable. Like what if something happens with this toe pain? <laughs> like that's, that, that's like a, that's a judge, clinical judgment muscle that we all have to develop. And, um, yeah. And I also would just want to normalize too, that it is really challenging to set those limits in visits. Um, because, and like my personal approach, again, is like a time blind person. I have to do a lot of forgiveness of my own time management. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not as orderly, um, in my visits as much as I wish I could be, but some days, and especially with boundary setting, some days I have the emotional capacity for it. And then other days I'm like, you know what? It's easier and, and more supportive for me in this moment to choose to address 12 things. <laughs> okay, I don't usually address 12, but like maybe like five, maybe seven if they're tiny things. But like in that moment, I'm like, okay, you know what? Today's the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think one thing that I've um, been starting to do is like setting, practicing setting those expectations at the beginning of the visit. And it sounds like you are doing that. Um, yeah. Uh, or setting more just general expectations at the beginning of a visit, but especially with the the problems of like, I think what happens sometimes is that patients just like start, we're like, how can I help you today? And then it's like all the things. Right. And then and then you have to backtrack and be like, okay, I'm so sorry. We can actually only address three. Right. Versus we start off the visit for your safety and quality mm-hmm. of your care. I can only address three things, right? It's not about me. It's not about inconvenience. It's about like literally it is not safe for me to not thoroughly investigate your chief complaints. I mean, I don't say chief complaints to them, but you know what I mean? Like the concerns that they have. So, but it is, I just wanted to add that as a normalizing thing that that gets easier with time. And it's a leadership thing. It's like you have to, I think that's another part of the role transition that makes time management so hard at the beginning is that you are in a leadership role when you're saying that with your patient, like you are guiding them, you are the authority and like you can still be an approachable authority, but you still have to be an authority when you, when you are a medical provider. Yeah. The buck is going to stop with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you have been say like the past five or 10 years bedside and you're just sort of there, you know, and you're there for 12 hours and you just kind of like whatever happens, happens, you know, that's not something that maybe you're accustomed to, you know, to Mm. saying like, okay, I bet we have 20 minutes together. Yeah. (laughs) 20 minutes, you know, what are your top three things or, or whatever the case may be. And so, yes, and you're Mm -hmm. right. It does get better with time with practice. And the, like another little sneak attack thing is that you can practice that in other parts of your life, right? Like mm. with friends, with family, you can practice that sort of stuff. Like, all right, I'm so going to give this 20 minutes and we're all, I'm only going to talk about whatever, you know, two things, three things, whatever it is, and set that expectation and maintain that. Mm. And you know, that way it's like a lower stakes kind of thing, yeah. but you also, you're like getting the mileage of having done it. Oh, I love that so much because it's boundary setting and boundary setting is not easy for anybody, especially when they're new to it. But um, it's a muscle that you have to practice a boundary setting, especially. Yeah. And then when you add in the imposter syndrome, if you're new, like it's hard to it's hard to stand in that in that grounded place of like, I am going to set a boundary, a kind and loving boundary that is for our best interest mutually. But right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not just a power play. Like there are reasons. and there Yeah. Really- yeah. 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 And it's because you're doing your job well. You're not doing it to do a bad job. You're not doing it to whatever. For whatever reason, it literally is to do a good job for them. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because our local newspaper is doing some reporting about like the healthcare shortage. And, you know, there's such mm-hmm. a shortage of providers, staff members. And so wait times are crazy. And I was like, spoiler alert, you know, they have worsened for 
sure, definitely. Yeah. But they were pretty crazy in the last five or 10 years too. Yeah. And that yeah. was one thing that I felt like it was such a big thing. It was important to me personally to be on time, but like for ethical reasons too, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes there are visits where it's just like, like you're going to run, yeah. and you, you, you accept those, right? But most of the time you can run generally on time. And it's important to me to meet those expectations. Yeah. My time is valuable, but so is the time of my patients and mm-hmm. the staff that I'm working with, you know, who are not only working for me, they're working with other folks. So it's kind of like about trying to keep all those plates spinning and to not be disappointing people or yeah. not to be, well, if then I run late with you, then I start late with the next person, you know, yeah. it's a whole down, you know, downhill slide from there. But so for me personally, it was, it, it continues to be like a big, it's an ethical thing. Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, you kind of mentioned a little bit about the, in the visits with um, how many problems you address. Are there any other kind of pieces of guidance you have about the uh, actual time in the visit with a patient? Yeah. So two, a couple of big things. And um, so setting the agenda is a big one, right? And it's because then you've got, you know, your transparency and all this, and it's a little easier than instead of like all of a sudden the last two minutes, like, oh, sorry, our time's up. That's a big one, but you also have to kind of know what that feels like, um, the amount of time that you have for your visit. So mm-hmm. I'll use that 20 minutes as an example, you know, and again, not every visit, especially in, in primary care, not every visit is going to be the same. Some visits you just are going to do in the chair. They're never even going to need to get on the table. Um, but, you know, when you get to that halfway point, the patient should be getting up on the exam table in most cases, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, and then you can kind of finish the visit with them, maybe on the table if they're safe, unless there's some reason they can't be left alone up there. Um, but you can kind of end the, t- the visit there and, and step up, but you have to kind of know. And I have noticed also in so many exam rooms, there are not clocks. Mm. And I've also noticed a lot of nurses, it's like the day they graduate NP school, they're like, I don't need to wear this watch anymore. <laughs> Put the watch back on, right? You know, so whether you have like a, just a regular old school watch or you have a smart watch, if you have a smart watch, you could even set like a little reminder, like your five minute warning. Mm. Um, you know, and get to know whatever the length of your visit is. You know, I worked in a setting where I had 10 minute visits, so I know what 10 minutes feels like. Um, but then when I got to like 20 minutes, I was like, okay, this is great. I've like got all this time left over, but then it expands to fill the time. So you have to kind of get to know what 20 minutes feels yeah. like. And get to know, then also working backwards, if that's what 20 minutes feels like, this is 15. We should be winding yeah. up. This is, the visit. this is 10 minutes. We should be mm. at that halfway point. Um, I should be done with the history. Now I should be asking them. They should be done talking and I should be kind of like yeah. running it now. Um, so those are big things. So having a clock, having a watch and a clock that you can point to with the patient. Yeah. We're almost out of time. You know, is it's yeah. a kind of a neutral way yeah. um, to do that. Other things like standing up, you know, most of my mm-hmm. visits, you know, they start on a chair or a stool. And then if the patient gets up on the um, exam table, then that's okay. That should be the halfway point. Some people just keep going, right? And they talk, and I'm a talker too. So I feel like if I say someone else is a talker, they're like, that's really like, <laughs> um, like they really like, darn, <laughs> oh, oh gosh, they, they really like to talk. So, you know, cues and, you know, standing up, putting your hand on the doorknob, opening mm-hmm. the door. Mm-hmm. And then worst case scenario, like, I'm sorry, but we're out of time. You know, those mm-hmm. are, are big things. Another piece that I feel really strongly about is kind of knowing what you're getting yourself into. So mm. if it's not the first time that you're seeing the patient, 
And if there's a way in the chart that you can have a note for yourself that like the patient can never see, but you can have some sort of a note in the chart, even if it's at the end of their previous visit note with you, and you have some sort of code. So I used to put CH for patients who were chatty, just so I know, this person's a talker, okay? So I'm just gonna go in with that in mind. And if they were very chatty, I would put like capital CH, right? Like to me, like very, very chatty. And then you just kind of know, right? So that's part of like looking at the chart before the visit, like, oh, okay, you got a talker, okay, good. Um, you know, things like that to just sort of, then you know, okay, when I'm going into this visit, I'm gonna need to help this person stay focused. I'm going to need to keep an eye on the clock because They've got all the time in the world and a lot of stuff to mm. talk about. Um, that's a big strategy too. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to be prepared. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So on that note, I just wanted to add, there's, um, I feel like I've quoted this before, but there's this like study about um, when providers sit down. I don't know if you're familiar with that study, but they did like a, they did a study, a qual- I think it was a qualitative study of like patient perception of how long a visit was and what they perceived was three times as long when the provider sat down versus when they stood up. And so I just appreciate that you're, you're, you added that you start with your visit sitting. Cause I know providers, some, com- some people, people come in and they're like charting on a computer on wheels and that's really great and helpful. But like, I always kind of like use that hack of like sitting down full attention. And then it's like the perception is much longer. Yeah. Um, and then I think it also reminded me of this other thing about interruptions. And I don't know if you had any suggestions for that, like, especially with like chatty patients. Um, I do love my chatty patients, but I am trying to be mindful of time. So um, one thing that I wanted to add, and if you had any to add, I appreciate it, um, is that um, when uh, instead of saying, instead of when somebody's talking and saying, but you can say, and and so when they're talking, oh, and, and then you change the, you change the direction because a but it's so subtle. And it's, this is talking about the English language, not in the, not in, in other languages. Cause I, I can't speak to that, but, um, yeah. So when you're saying like, and this, it's like not negating what they're saying. It's like, it's like, I've heard what you've said and we're going to talk about blah, blah, blah next. Right. Yeah. Right. As opposed to saying like, but we only have 20 minutes. Right? Yeah. 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 And we only have 20 minutes. So, you know, it's just like a better connector. Like I've heard you space and it's so subtle. And I don't actually know if there's research on it, but I appreciate it as a patient. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I have, I think I've been on the receiving end of that too. Yeah. Which that. Like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Totally. But do you have suggestions about interrupting or kind of, I think that people have a hard time with that and they don't like quite know what to say or how to say it or. So to interrupt like the patient, like if they're really on a roll and you need yeah. to kind of take the breaks. Well, so one thing that I found is counterintuitive. And for me, it's hard to do because I'm a chatterbox, right? So like, I can't really fault patients too much because I'm just as bad, but like, yeah. Um, but one thing is silence. So kind of like if you keep stoking the fire, like the fire's gonna keep burning, right? But if you just kind of like if you smother a fire, it's not gonna continue to burn. So we don't want to smother a patient, but like <laughs> like to not say anything. Yeah. And I worked with a colleague who had this trick and I was like, I'll try it. I don't know if it's gonna work. And I was like, oh my god, it totally worked. And of course, she was like a physician and she had worked for 30 years. So she had all kinds of insights that like someday I'll have, but I didn't have them at this point for sure. And she said, I let the patient say everything and then I count in my head to 10 and I say nothing mm. and the patients loved her too. And I was like, God, that sounds like that's an eternity. So I was like, well, I'll do five. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try, you know? 
and it does work. So it, I don't feel super comfortable doing that all the time. Nice to have that in the toolkit, right? As an option. Mm. So, you know, sometimes to be like, okay, and one, two, three, four, and five. And like, okay, you know, and just to kind of do that, that can be used in a lot of different situations too. Like when you need to sort of slow the momentum down a little bit, mm. sometimes mm. if patients, and this is a different conversation, but if they're a little bit confrontational, um, not engaging and mm. just kind of letting it sort of, you know, fall where it may, it can work in that case too. I have some other tips for confrontational patients. That's not today, um, but it can work for that sort of thing too. So it really is like, it's the kind of multifaceted tool that you can kind of plug into a lot of different situations. Mm -hmm. So time, you know, cause people mm -hmm. will notice that you're not talking yeah. and then it'll, you know, it shakes them up <laughs> yeah. and that can be helpful too. Yeah. Um, I've also had situations where, again, knowing that I've had, okay, here comes so-and-so and, -so and they're going to be, we're going to be here all day. And some, you know, you enjoy some of these patients, you enjoy them. Like mm -hmm. if you have them, time. and so if you have a good relationship with the folks that you work with to get that kind of rescue knock, yeah, if I'm still in here at two o'clock or four 30 or 10 PM. Oh, I've whatever, definitely done that. Knock <laughs> on the door. Like, would you please like, and it could be anybody, right? The patient doesn't know who it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And out into the hall and they think it's something very important. And then you're just like, wait in the hall, count to 10, stop back in, you know, and like, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to, we're going to have to wrap up here, yeah, you know, so totally. too, you know, that you can kind of do, and it helps if you know what you're walking into totally. um, with the patient who might be a little more likely to do that. Yeah. But um, it's always, you know, there are always new things to learn and there's yeah. always like, new tools to put in the toolkit because there's always curveballs. Yeah. So there's that piece too. It's like, yeah, give yourself a break. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I do not manage every single encounter in the last, you know, five years, like completely perfectly as far as time management is concerned. Sometimes you can't and you have yeah. to just sort of you know, accept that. Yeah. But, you know, if you run late, maybe you borrow five minutes from the next visit or something. You know, there's those things too. Mm, totally, totally. And I, I, I guess we said this off camera, but um, I think there are a lot of choices when it comes to time management and I have time blindness. I try, I, I try a lot of things. I just, I'm not great with it in general in my whole life for my entire life. And so I, I just give myself a lot of grace and my commitments are to very high quality patient care, strong relationships with my patients, um, and just like doing a good job. And so some like doing a good job includes time management, but I, I also get to make decisions, right? Like of the give and take. Cause I think sometimes that new nurse practitioners especially will write in and say things like, you know, like I, I think there's this like kind of like attachment to like every single day, I see my patients on time, I get on on time, I get all my charts done on time every single week. And I think that people view that, especially when they're newer of like, you've arrived, you've achieved, that's what everybody does, that's what you're supposed to do. And then also like, it doesn't have to look like that. And it's not about perfection. It's about like you choosing what is going to work for you and um, what you can accept and what you can't accept. Right. And so for me, I'm also OK accepting that it's, you know, if I if I leave clinic an hour late, I've made that choice because I have a variety of other choices in my life. And if that wasn't a if I was not OK with that, then I would amend my behavior. But it's not at the, right at this point. Yes. And that's the thing too, is kind of knowing yourself and knowing kind of what makes sense for you and what your yeah. boundaries are, because I think that's a big thing too. Um, 
in my book, I have like a little infographic. Well, it's not even as a chart, it's not an infographic. But, um, and it shows my rate of closing charts the same day versus the rest of the practice, right? And there were like 30 or 40 people in the practice. And wow. I was like, I know, it was a busy place. <laughs> but I was definitely above everybody else. I think it was like 10, 15, maybe even 20 points above everybody else because that was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean, and, and so I was like a little like, you know, way uptight about it. But but I was unusual, I guess is the point that I'm trying to make and not in like a humble brag kind of way, but just like, that was my thing. Like, you know, that was my OCD of of sorts. And, you know, the point is the average was still really good. Like the average was still like 80s to 85%, like closing them within 24 hours. Mm. You know, that's normal. If you really want to go, you know, super great with the other things. Now, I definitely had times when I had my charts closed my patient satisfaction scores were not so good, you know, right? Like, so it's like you kind of choose your battles, right? Yeah. Because you can't have both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so that, that's a big thing. And to realize, I think you had a really good point by saying that it really, that's kind of like, okay, that, then I'll know now I'm a real MP. Mm-hmm. No, you yeah. know, because I, I knew I was very good at charting. Yeah. And I knew that I was very good at like the efficiency and that sort of thing. But there were definitely things that I was like, like the gout, you know, the first time I saw somebody with gout or the first time I had, you know, maybe I don't know, an atypical presentation of something. Right. And it's like, oh, you know, or this person who's got polypharmacy and you need to give them antibiotics and things are interacting and their kidneys aren't working right. And so you're like, oh God, what do I do? Right. You know, so those things like mm-hmm. definitely other things where you're like, okay, yeah, the time management might be great. <laughs> like I'm working on that too so that's a big big piece yeah and and this I'm going to give this a little pause here because we might we right you might want to edit this and and have this in a different order um but this next piece is a huge part of charting and I can't believe I forgot Mm -hmm. so from the charting perspective my number one time saver is dictation Mm. that there's nothing else that you can do that's going to get you anywhere close to those same results. Mm. Um, you know, my first six months in family medicine, yeah, it was about six months. I was doing, I was typing, I'm a pretty fast typist. They used to be a secretary back in the day. So like, I'm pretty good. Right. And I was all right, but really my numbers changed when I started dictating and mm. I thought oh, this is going to be this weird thing. It's not, everything's weird. The first time you do it but by like the 10th time it's not weird anymore mm. and when you realize oh this weird thing gets me out of here <laughs> yeah yeah um, so that is a major major game changer and you know looking for ways to learn that if you don't already know how or to get comfortable with that if you're not there yet mm. definitely worth it because that is what is going to be just a game changer yeah and is that something that your clinic um like already had or is that something that you sought out or you paid for or how did that work so we had um dragon which plugged into epic so we had all of the you know top of the line sort of stuff Mm. and um but yeah i was like the new kid right because i was one of the new mps and i was like a younger grad and um so i had like a really old and the handheld microphone so like we had good stuff but my equipment wasn't great but it didn't matter because it's still like it records my voice and it's mm-hmm. learning what my things are. And, and I had another colleague that was at the same point. We had graduated at the same time and she started like a month after me. And she, she was really good with like cardiac stuff. Like there were 
clinical topics that she was like way better than me at, but charting, right? Tends mm-hmm. way better than her at charting. So she started dictating and she got this huge improvement. She's like, oh man, I'm finishing like hours earlier. Mm-hmm. And then something happened. Like they gave her a new computer and the microphone didn't work anymore. And so she just abandoned it. And I was like, IT can help you with that. She abandoned it and she's there till like 10 o'clock at night still oh, charging all the time. I'm like, seriously? Oof. Yeah. oof, oof, oof. All you have to do is get this thing and plug it in and be like, patient mm. person. Yeah. So. Yeah. I have like I have like a very not great hack. So <laughs> I think the ideal situation is that you discuss this and I have a, a, an episode about how primary care offices work and how to like navigate scheduling issues and like communicate with leadership. So like this is more of like on that side of like getting support from like the whole group instead of like you like you can ask yourself, but you might need support because it's like a functional, potentially expensive change for the clinic. Mm-hmm. But um. So I don't, I do recommend you take that route first, but if you do have to hack it, um, Google Docs has a dictation feature and you can, it's not great for medical stuff, um, but Google Docs is free if you have a Google Gmail account and like you can dictate stuff, you have to edit it. So I don't know if it would save that much time. That's why I haven't used it and cause we didn't have Dragon, but I think Dragon is specific for like medical words and stuff like that. Like, so it's like ready for those things versus Google. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. And even so, Dragon isn't perfect. But yeah. if you can, like, even if you get just your box of text and yeah. then you copy and paste it and then have to edit a little bit, yeah. you know, even with Dragon, you still want to review your note each time because yeah. you never, there are curveballs. <laughs> you know, yeah. it has like autocorrect where you're like, I didn't say that. And um, it was that Dragon swears I did. You know, so you still want to be reviewing it anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's still, even if you had to copy and paste it, from like a Google Doc, it's still going to be faster. Yeah, than yeah, totally. And that's kind of like a lot of nurses are just not great typists. Like they're yeah. not, fast, you know, like no, yeah. no shade or whatever, but like they're just not fast. So yeah. like it's going to be faster for you, right? And yeah. yeah, totally, totally. Well, I do, I do want to get to the question about scheduling challenges as well as addressing it with leadership. Like I think that um, even and and I gave this example off the recording, but, um, somebody just wrote in, I think it was either today or yesterday and was like, I'm really, here's the context. I am in this practice. I have a schedule and I'm willing to see patients as needed drop double or triple booked for like emergency situations, right. Or urgent, urgent matters. Right. And that's how most clinics go. It's like, here's your schedule. You know what? I'm so sorry. Providers who can take this kid with a sore throat with a fever. It's like, okay, great. I'll, t- I'll be double booked at four o'clock. That's fine. But then this nurse practitioner was like, it happens every day. <laughs> and you're never kind of laughing about like, well, emergencies don't really happen every day unless you're in the ER. So, oh, so I want to talk about scheduling and how it affects time management. And then also what are like, what your thoughts were about that, but then also tying in that piece of like, this is not a unique problem for this one person that wrote in. Like this right. is like literally national for the last three years that I like probably international too. Cause like we serve people in Canada regularly and I think they have the same challenges. So like, I don't know. What are, what are you, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. How to so navigate it. I, I agree that, right. Like that is a weird trend, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> every day with the same but that's kind of weird um so that person is right and and they're doing the right thing in that they are recognizing this is what's happening to me and this doesn't 
this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of know a couple of different things. So when it comes to the schedule, even I would kind of take it a layer back from the schedule and kind of you want to get a sense. And I used a, a, just a time tracker, just like a simple, you could just pen and paper. And for different kind of visits, just track how long it takes you to do them, right? So if you've got a kid with a sore throat and a fever, it's a quick visit, right? Like mm -hmm. it should be. They've got some other stuff, but like the typical visit, like yeah. that's 10 minutes, they're in and out. They just want their antibiotics and they're good, right? Totally. Um, you know, well, not for new grads. New grads, I feel like every visit takes an hour, but yes, once they feel better, it will be 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, you know, yeah. So it's a fairly simple visit, right? It's not this, mm -hmm. you know, bunch of different things going on. And theoretically, so if you're thinking about it, right, what does that visit entail? Well, you obviously have to assess the kid and you're going to get the history from the kid. You're going to get it from the parent. Okay. Or the guardian. Um, but the assistant in most clinics, it could be a little different, but you're going to probably do a rapid strap or rapid something. Well, you're probably not going to be the one doing that. So you're going to have your time mm -hmm. to step back. So how much time are you really going to be spending with the patient? Verse and charting at the end, right? And then sending probably some sort of orders, you know, either imaging or whatever, right? Uh, not imaging, but like labs or, or meds. So you have to kind of know what your different things. Now, of course, that's going to be faster than somebody who is 50 with a bunch of different things going on and 10 different prescriptions and doing their annual physical or their three-month diabetes follow-up, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to take a little more time if you do them right. You know, if you don't cut too many corners, they should take a little bit more time, but you have to know how long that takes you. And what are your quick visits? There are some that are kind of universally a little quicker, a UTI visit versus a diabetes follow-up. They might be both booked as a 15 minute visit, but one is really going to be faster than the other and get a sense of what that means for you. Then you need to watch your schedule like a hawk, right? If you have add-ons put on, if add-ons are put on your schedule and people don't ask you first, they just put them on or they mm -hmm. double book. Again, that depends on the culture of the practice. Mm -hmm. You need to be keeping an eye on that and raising your hand. And saying, mm -hmm. this, you know, can somebody else take this in the case of the person who wrote in and said, like, I keep getting these things. Yeah. Is that true? Right. You mm -hmm. know, or does it feel like you are? Because sometimes it really mm -hmm. can feel like it follows you. But if you look at other people's schedules, like it's yeah, happening to everybody. That's yeah. a bigger problem that we need to look at. Or, yeah, no, these are all following on me in the last like three weeks. It's always been me. Can we talk about this? Right. So that's an offline conversation mm. but then also certain the way like the rhythm of the schedule the, the pace of your schedule a lot of places will have like their first visit of the morning session and the afternoon session will be for acutes mm. and those won't be booked until maybe 24 hours before or even the day of right mm. and then if it doesn't get booked then get a little bonus amount of time but you know that's that you shouldn't have two physicals back to back you shouldn't have two new patient visits back to back some visits you should have a little bit more time if it's going to be a new patient visit, unless it's somebody who's like 21 and they just, you know, have nothing going on. They just need to be, you know, actually mm. there versus somebody who's got like a history or a post post hospital discharge follow-up visit. You know, you want to be able to have more time. If there are things that you know about certain patients that they um, you need to use interpreter services, right? Those mm. visits because you're kind of saying mm -hmm. everything twice. So can those visits, you don't want two of those back to back or you don't want to have like some crazy trifecta of stress where you would have like an interpreter services visit followed by a new patient visit followed by like a hospital discharge for somebody who had like, who was in the hospital for a month with like COVID and an MI, you know, like that is a nightmare. I'm going to have bad dreams tonight. Right. Um, but like, you know, so if you saw that on your schedule, 
raise your hand, right? Mm-hmm. I can't, this isn't going to work. And they might not mm-hmm. be able to really change. It might be too late, you yeah. know? So yeah. what can we do about this? Can somebody take them this, yeah. like these patients can't be rescheduled, but can we move somebody over to somebody mm-hmm. else? How can we go about this? What can we do strategically? Yeah. So, just like so many other things with the healthcare and being a provider, they don't tell you this in school. Mm-hmm. You find this out when yeah. you are like boots on the ground and yeah. stuff starts to go wrong. And you say, okay, what can I do? I don't ever want to feel that way again. Mm-hmm. How can we make it so that, you know, and so having those agreed upon like booking algorithms, mm. being really like on good terms, if you can, with the people who make your schedule. So whether that's mm-hmm. secretaries or like a mm-hmm. phone nurse, so that they'll come to you with stuff, letting them know mm-hmm. what is maybe not working yeah. and involving them maybe in a solution because they yeah. see it too, you yeah. know, from their yeah. perspective. So yeah. it, I feel like a rising tide lifts all boats. And if we can make this kind of better for everybody, then we all benefit mm-hmm. or, or many of us benefit. Um, but that's a big, big, big piece. Yeah. Also safety things that I saw a lot of when I worked for a larger health system would be, 10 in the morning, I would look at my schedule and I have somebody booked for like 3 p.m. that afternoon with chest pain. Yeah, I was just going to say, it must have been chest pain. <laughs> chest pain or unilateral leg swelling. Like, are you kidding me? Right? Like, okay. okay. So that would be bad. I would say, are you kidding me? And then, okay, who booked this visit? Let me talk to them. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, sometimes unilateral leg swelling is cellulitis, you know, yeah. but sometimes a DVT and sometimes yeah. chest pain is chest wall pain and sometimes it's a heart attack is mm. this appropriate you know also yeah. is this appropriate to be handled in the setting should this be in an emergent setting or at least even urgent right mm. so things like that are, are yeah. also because you know a DVT visit I think of a DVT visit as fairly black and white right you know yeah. like, okay well I gotta get some imaging I'll probably grab some labs you'll come back we'll talk we'll come up with a plan but it's two visits right? Because you're going to see them. Then you're going to send them out for their stat imaging, their stat labs. Then they're going to come back. You're going to wait for those results to come back. They're going to be there. Like they're hanging out Mm. (laughs) for the afternoon or the morning, you know? So there's that piece too. And that can be stressful, even though the issue, Mm. it can be really stressful, especially as a new grad and like the other things you have going on in your day. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of answer. No, that's good. No, that's good. And I think I think one thing I realized is that I think I took for granted that I had a template um, that had the same types of visits, like you had that had rules about booking, um, where physicals were a pink color, and then sick visits were like yellow and blah, 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 blah. And like your template is done out for like a month or three months or however long your template goes. So not everybody has that. And so if someone's listening and is like, oh, you get that? Like you get to ask for stuff like that and you get to have an opinion about yours. Because for me, like I would have procedures on Thursday afternoons and it was so delightful because it's like, I love procedures, but then it was just this nice like mental, physical, energetic break in between like it it was just so nice and so that's what my request was and that's what the demand of the clinic was um and i think the other thing i wanted to highlight about what you said is like i think that there's a component of individual and a component of systems and the whole ecosystem of a clinic because i think that the common thing that i hear from new grads especially if they're coming from a nursing background and they're thrown into this not thrown into we 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 walk ourselves into these roles but like we we are are asked to step into a leadership position 
-hmm. without really a ton of training for it. And then we're just like you were saying, it's just like boots on the ground. And then now you have to be at the end of the line and you're a leader who sort of formally slash informally supervises people. Right. And I think that um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by that. And then they also don't want to make waves is what people say a lot um, in terms of like, oh, I don't want to cause trouble. Like, I'm so lucky to have this job, even if they don't say that out loud. Like, I know that I had that. That's why I'm saying that, because it was in my head and I've heard it from some people. But um, when we speak up about things in a healthy environment of your workplace, you speak up people listen. If they don't listen, and I talked about this a little bit in another time management video I talked about, but like if they're not responding, then it's 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 not escalated. Escalated sounds like a um, confrontational word, but it's really like, okay, well now, now we need a couple more voices and then we need to all get on the same page. And what are our policies too, right? So like we had a policy about the nurses only got to approve those double book visits um, because they would clinically assess a person and see if they actually needed that urgent visit that day, kid with a sore throat, for example, at 4.30 p.m. on a Friday, right? Um, or any day, really. But um, but yeah, we have rules in place. And so I just want to offer that too of like, that's how that works. And definitely go back and watch the How Primary Care Offices Work episode to like learn a little bit more about the kind of chains of command parts. But it's, yeah, it's really, it's really tricky. And, um, and it's, and it's, heartbreaking to hear about how dysfunctional a lot of primary care offices are and that's like the norm but um do you have any other thoughts about that about like leadership or i actually I, this conversation is reminding me i have two two good friends who are now medical directors and so i'm thinking about asking them if they want to come on um <laughs> to, and share from their side what it's like right i think that that would be really helpful but um yeah any other thoughts to share about that yeah i mean i definitely when you were saying the whole like you know I don't want to make waves thing I think mm -hmm. that's very understandable and relatable and I kind of like wagged my finger like metaphorically <laughs> at the person who says that like don't think that um I get it right like I can definitely yeah. get it. but and I am in general an optimist even though what I am about to say might not sound very optimistic nobody's gonna look out for you but you mm -hmm. you busted your ass to get yeah. where you are you spent time you spent money you spent just years of your life, you, the opportunity cost of becoming a nurse practitioner, you, you're invested, you're in this, right? Yeah. You now have to protect you. And yeah. the secretary isn't going to do it. Mm -hmm. The nurses aren't going to do it. The medical director isn't going to do it. It's you, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to assert yourself, right? And that is, that's harder than being an MP, yeah. right? And because also because they teach you how to be an MP. Right? Yeah, and then you get these words, and you're assessed. Okay, yes, you are fit to practice, but nobody is like, okay, so are you good at speaking up for yourself? You know, do you know when you need to? Like, nobody, nobody cares, right? It's actually kind of better for them if you don't. So now I'm gonna get out mm -hmm. my like, I'll get out a big, too big of a soapbox. But the reality is, you have to recognize the need for that and backfill coming to real world MP is a great way to do it to backfill those skills so that you can get to that point so that you're comfortable speaking for yourself or working with others so that as a group you can say hey this is something that I think we need to look at as a practice as a group as a blah 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 and get that kind of consensus because mm -hmm. um, nobody's going to do it for you and when I've been in supervisory positions in the past it's a lot easier to make a decision especially a decision that potentially could impact the bottom line or that mm -hmm. could impact a lot of folks, right? It's not just about like, oh yeah, you can have next week off. Like, no, like a bigger picture decision. Easier to make those decisions if you have data, 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, otherwise you're always like, even, you know, leaders are humans too. And so they may be like, did I do the right thing? But if you've got some kind of data that you can match with, you can feel a little bit better about that. You still might get it right, but so that's where like tracking your time, seeing Mm -hmm. how you're doing, what's not going well, why isn't it going well? And then having that to bring with you when you do need to speak up for yourself, I think can go a long way. Doesn't always guarantee it, unfortunately, but it can go a long way. And if nothing else, it can help you to understand what you need and what you need in a certain work environment. So that if it is time for you to switch to another work environment, you can have those questions that you know you need to ask. Like, how do you guys handle X, Y, Z? You know, because I know I haven't liked the way it's been in the past, you know, Um, but you have to look out for yourself and treat yourself advocate for yourself as much as you would advocate for your patients, if not more so, because if you don't and you end up burnt out, what's going to become of your patients then, you know, you have to to put your option down first. Totally. Totally. And I I always say that too, because I think that was, that was a transition for me of like, if it's not for me, it's for my longevity in this career and for my patients. And like, now I'm at the point of like, no, it's for me too. (laughs) But like, that was like a nice bridge for me because I was so like, you know, in that place. But thank you so much for being here. I'm going to leave a link to your book in the description. Any, any parting words you'd like to share? Um, you know, don't be afraid to ask for what you need. Mm. You know, if you need more time, if you need more support, if you need more blah, 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 think about it, think about what works for you, reflect on it and Find the way, whether it's, you know, through colleagues, through friends, through family, through, um, you know, working with real world MP, get those skills, backfill those skills so that you can ask for what you need. And time management is a huge piece of it. You can work on your skills, but if you're in the wrong setting, great time management skills aren't going to save you because I have them and I was in the wrong setting. So I had to leave. So (laughs) it's a setting that was a better fit. So, you know, time management can go a long way, but really my bigger takeaway is, is that you need to not be afraid to ask for what you need, know what it is, ask for it. I love that. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. Totally. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.